to me, the most delicious part about solo performing is the audience Mm -hmm. because it's this amazing connection because it's just you. So they're connecting with you, hopefully. Yeah. Um, And you're connecting with them. And when you're in the zone and you got the laughing going and the audience is roaring, I mean, honestly, there is absolutely nothing like it. Zenya here. Welcome back to the show. I am so excited for you to be joining me today as we chat with our guest, Pam Levin, on the creation of her solo shows, Tales of Modern Motherhood. Oh, yay. Thank you for having me today. I'm so excited. Yay. But before we dive into today's episode, just a quick reminder to please subscribe to the show. Whether you are listening on iTunes, Spotify, Audible, Google Play, press that subscribe button so you can stay up to date on episodes. And head on over to patreon.com slash Xenia to join the fam and help keep this show going every single week and get access to exclusive content, behind the scenes content, and early access for my music and writing. Again, that's patreon.com slash X-E-N-J-A. Your support means the absolute world to me. And now it's time for some shameless self-promotion. Have you heard my new electronic EDM single, Running With Wolves? If not, head over to zenya.bandcamp.com to listen to and purchase this moody, mystical single that tells the story of a lone wolf breaking free of all the external noise to let her inner light radiate outwards. And stay tuned for the kick-ass music video happening soon. Pam Levin is an actor, writer, and voiceover artist and award-winning solo performer. She has been performing one-woman shows for the past 22 years, and this year was asked to open and close the Whitefire Annual Solo Fest Best of the Fest 2020. She opened on January 8th, 2021, with her smash hit comedy, Tales of Modern Motherhood Part 1, This Shit Just Got Real, and will close with a brand new show with the working title, When I Turn 40, A Prediction or Self-Fulfilling Prophecy. In 2019, Pam did something that had never before been done at Solo Fest. She performed three completely different one-woman shows over the course of the two-and-a-half-month festival. She toured all over the world off and on for six years with the show The Quiet Room, for which she won an ADA award in Los Angeles for Best Solo Production. She performed sold-out runs of In My Own X-Rated Words and has been performing her own solo piece, Tales of Modern Motherhood, This Shit Just Got Real, since it made its East Coast off-Broadway premiere in the fall of 2017 at United Solo Festival in New York City. Since then, she's had sold-out shows and invitations for encore and headline performances. Two years later, Pam performed the world premiere of Tales of Modern Motherhood Part 2, Gender and Identity, off-Broadway at the United Solo Festival. Pam is a recurring performer with the storytelling series Expressing Motherhood. She is currently in post-production on the new web series The Misadventures Of, and you can watch her in the feature film Princess of the Row, which is currently on Amazon Prime. 
Pam has also narrated over a dozen children's audiobooks and is a proud mother of two amazing kids, Bella and Darby, and the bride of her Romeo, Brett. Hi, Pam. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, my goodness. This is a huge treat. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, of course. So we actually met a year ago. It's actually been a year. Oh, my gosh. I know. I was I I think it was that weekend like like a couple of weekends ago I was like, "Oh my gosh, this was last year where we did Expressing Motherhood together." Oh my goodness. That's exactly right. And and I loved your piece. I think you're just an amazing artist and writer and performer and I was so thrilled to get to know you. And so and now a year later becoming better friends and being a part of your show, your podcast. This is just a huge honor. Thank you so much. Oh, of course. Truly, like, I love you so much. And you're someone who, like, just makes me feel like my existence matters. Like, not to get too deep, but like, when you texted me on Christmas, I like, I was so surprised and grateful because like, Christmas, like the holidays, and especially with the pandemic, like, they're hard, you know? And so to get that message of just like, pure love from you, it's like, oh my God, I love you so much. So yes, I'm when I was like, I'm doing a podcast, I was like, I have to have Pam on. Like, no question. I feel like you and I are cut from the same cloth. Mm. You know, Like, mm-hmm. art is in the fabric of your being. And that is so obvious through your Instagrams and your personality and your beautiful music and your amazing writing. So I love that. Yes. Oh my goodness. Okay. So can we start with just what brought you to solo performing in general? Like, I would be a hot mess. <laughs> like, I don't think I have the attention span or the energy levels to do a solo show. But I'm just curious, like, what drew you to solo performing? Well, it's kind of interesting because I had seen my first one-person show, oh gosh, back in my early 20s, uh, one of my dearest friends, Signe Grant, was doing an amazing piece all about her chakras. And I remember, and she's so artistic herself, she had like um, ribbons, colored ribbons that would reflect the chakras from all different parts of the ceiling and it would affect her body. So it was very physical and it was just the most gorgeous piece and it was very poetically done. Um, And I just thought, that is something I have never witnessed in my life. Um, And it really wasn't on my radar. I had gone to the National Shakespeare Conservatory and had my training there and uh, was interested in in theater and film and TV and more contemporary stuff. Uh, I really didn't know very much about solo work. And then when I was in New York City living there, I was doing a show, The Dining Room, A.R. Gurney, on like a 6-4 walk-up in Hell's Kitchen. And oh this, yeah, this producer was in the audience, and I played about six or seven different characters. And after the show, she came up to me, she said, I'm working on a project, it's a one-person show, I think you're perfect. It's about a woman who's manic, depressive, schizophrenic in a mental institution. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. <laughs> I thought, and you think I'm perfect? Like, is this a compliment? I don't even know. But I remember reading the script and thinking, this is so hard. Mm. Uh, the woman is Roman Catholic. I'm Jewish. I didn't know anything about mental illness. I just thought, Are you, I don't know if I'm the right person for this piece. 
But the challenge was so exciting that I thought, you know what? I'm going to give this a shot. And I memorized it. We worked together. And it was a one-week run at the Crane Theater in New York City. We sold out every performance. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is something I like thoroughly enjoy. Just this medium of me being the only person on stage and and just performing my guts out, you know, it's like coming from my loins, <laughs> the tears and the laughter and the, the whole nine yards. It was so exciting and rewarding that it, it became, yeah, my, yeah. it became my favorite thing. So yeah, that, that sounds amazing. And, and truly watching you, like having watched you perform, like, oh my gosh, you're in your element up there solo performing. You truly are. Um, I would love to know just like, what are some of the challenges of solo performing? Oh, there are quite, quite a few. I'll tell you that. Number one, I think it's a lonely uh, way to perform. And that's one of the things that sometimes I'm like, I have to really like psych myself up, especially doing a show like The Quiet Room where it's very serious. Um, I always try to find the humor in any show that I'm doing because I think humor is, it's such a great way to have levitivity. I I think it's hard to listen to something heavy for long periods of time. You really have to inject the, the funny. Mm -hmm. you know, and the comedy. And I don't mean comedy. I don't want to make fun of something like mental illness or anything like that in all due respect, but just adding that lightness to kind of put a smile on your face. And like, if we can't laugh at ourselves, who can we laugh at? Right? Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Humor is to me, it's like one of the most effective and best medicines. And it's, yes. it's true. Like it's not making fun of it, but it's, it's, it's a way of like coping with and managing really difficult situations. So yeah, I totally get that. That's exactly right. And I found that when I wrote part two, I was back in that headspace of, wow, this piece is a little bit heavier than I'm used to doing. I haven't done that in a while because part one is sheer comedy. You just saw part one. Yeah. Um, but part two, dealing with gender and identity, um, especially coming from such a personal place where my child was going through that, which we could talk about later for sure, um, it was really tapping into um, my heartstrings. And I was in the middle of it at the time, So I had to really try to separate myself to find the funny. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was challenging. Yeah. Because I didn't think anything was funny at that time. I was just trying to deal with what was going on and, 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 and be a supportive, amazing parent to the best of my ability, you know, with zero tools in my tool belt. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's, that's relatable for pandemic parenting. Yes. So yeah, nobody was prepared for for lockdown and had school going online. Like I can't even imagine how difficult that has also been. Oh yeah, I'm not gonna lie to you. I see how people uh, take to the drink. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it is a really challenging thing. Me, I went to chocolate. I went to Costco. Got Ooh. a big monster. Really good chocolate there, by the way. I got to tell you that Kirkland brand is great. There's there's a Costco going in like walking distance from me. They're building it right now. It'll probably be finished by the time I'm heading out. But yeah. <laughs> 
Oh my God. Yeah. That, that is one of my weaknesses, Costco. I'm yeah. not going to lie to you. <laughs> Amazing. I, okay. I didn't ask this in the script, but I'm curious. Um, do you, as a solo performer, like find that you feed off of the audience a lot more than if you were not a solo performer or does it not matter? Uh, you know what, it, to me, the most delicious part about solo performing is the audience mm -hmm. because it's this amazing connection because it's just you. So they're connecting with you, hopefully. Yeah. Um, and you're connecting with them. And when you're in the zone and you got the laughing going and the audience is roaring. I mean, honestly, there is absolutely nothing like it. And then I'll tell you something. I remember being in New York. We were doing part two. And in the second row was my cousins, my sister-in-law. It was like a bunch of them. And one minute they're laughing so hard. And these are laughers that are like, <laughs> I mean, really hearty belly laughs, right? And the next thing I know, they're sobbing and I see a roll of a toilet paper like go across the screen. I'm thinking, where the hell did they find toilet paper? Right? My God. <laughs> but they were crying so hard. And then, you know, the great thing about um, what I try to do as a writer is I like when you're laughing and then you get a good punch in the gut. And then a few minutes later, you're laughing again. So you're not in that space too long, but long enough to really feel something, and, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and connect to the story. To yeah. Have you found it difficult to do live streams? Oh, my gosh. This has been hard. Um, in July, I had live streamed at the White Fire Theater Part 2 for Best of the Fest. Mm -hmm. And... I was scared out of my mind, to be quite honest with you. I had to reblock the entire show the day before, the oh. day before, and I was because you have to do it for the camera, right? And theater, you're going to be a little bit bigger than film and TV, or I would say more than a little bit, because mm -hmm. you're just really emoting and showing and expressing. And I know I dance and I I move around a lot. I'm very physical, and so. To, to hone myself in like that, I felt like I was being in a straitjacket. It was really wow. hard. Yeah. And also not to have that connection, not to hear uh, the audience breathing and, mm -hmm. and really, you know, with you, that was very hard. But I have to say, it was an incredible learning experience and I feel blessed that I got to do it because the alternative is not performing at all. Yeah. And so that was a blessing. And the other cool thing about live stream that I'm finding, if I was in LA performing, say for example, at the White Fire and there's you know 90 seats in there, once you sell out, you sell out, you know? But with live stream, it's endless how many pe people can mm -hmm. watch. And you can even go as far as internationally yeah. with friends in Poland watching it, friends in Israel. I mean, it was incredible. You got the East Coast, you got the West Coast and everything in between. So it was really that, I think to me, was the biggest selling point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wonder if like once live theater opens back up, if there will be like kind of a alive and then also a live stream at the same time because it's to reach an international audience is huge it's huge exactly yeah. it, 
it is weird because um, I was supposed to take part two to um, to London in Ooh. September. Oh I, at last, this is in 2020. Okay. And I was really excited. It's the United Solo Festival. It was their first time doing it in London. And I thought, okay, West End, this is on my bucket list, you yeah. know. And so I had submitted, I knew they were only taking a, you know, a small percentage of people sending their plays in because okay. it's a much smaller festival than the one in New York. But I got accepted and I was thrilled. And I thought, oh my God, to be able to, to you know, meet all these new people and fresh faces. And, and I, I just thought that was quite amazing. But where I'm going with this is the cool thing about live stream was that people who weren't able to see it in London because it got canceled with the pandemic right. were able, you know, they're able to see live streams. So that is, I mean, just such an incredible blessing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Incredible. So let's jump to just before the creation of Tales of Modern Motherhood Part One. What yes. was going on in your life prior to writing it? And, and what sort of prompted you to even write it? Okay, great. Wow, that's a good question. Um, well, at the time I was doing a show, I was hired by uh, an amazing gal. Her name is Frederica Duke. And she wrote this play called In My Own X-Rated Words. Total comedy, raunchy, hilarious. The kind of thing where I couldn't even imagine saying those things <laughs> in the privacy of my own home, <laughs> on stage. Yeah. And I would even have to say at rehearsal with her, Freddie, how do you even say that? Like, I, it won't even come out of my mouth. It's just so wrong, you know? Yeah. And she had absolutely uh, no shame about any of it, which is what I so admired about her. She was just proud of her experiences and her life. And, you know, talk about go big or go home, mm -hmm. you know? And I was hired to do one night. That was it. It was one night uh, in the Pacific Palisades, a lovely theater. And we sold out. We had people flying in from New York. She, she knows a lot of really terrific, you know, incredible people. Yeah. Her father, uh, may rest in peace, was a film uh director and producer, I want to say. And I think he was best friends, if I recall correctly, with Rodney Dangerfield. So she grew up in Beverly Hills with just such an amazing uh, uh, childhood. Mm -hmm. And so here we have this star-studded event and um, it goes smashingly well. And it's packed to the gills. I have people on the stage, sitting on the sides of the stage. Oh my God. And I'm thinking, okay, I have to remember to also address them because wow. they're right there. And after that night, I have to say in my whole life, it was the very first time I felt like a star. Oh. It, was, it was that feeling of, oh my God, this is why we do this. You know what I mean? Just yep. such an amazing feeling from, from my toes to the top of my head. And I remember I was leaving that night, uh, not that night, excuse me, the following morning, which happened to be my birthday, this is so coincidental, to jump on a plane to shoot this film in Michigan. Now, it makes me sound like I'm working all the time. <laughs> I just happen to have a really good month. <laughs> okay, it was a good month. 
And um, I'm on a plane and, um, and I'm thinking this could be so much bigger than one night. Mm. And when I got home, uh, I remember she was like, let's meet for lunch. And we did, and we wound up doing the show off and on for three years. Oh my God. We sold out every single performance. And we took it off Broadway to the United Solo Festival as well. Wow. We sold out three nights in New York. Yeah. That's incredible. So it was just like this whirlwind of a, it was supposed to be one night. It turned into this like three-year phenomenal experience. And I thought to myself, okay, wait a minute. I, I feel like I might have something I want to say, mm. you know, mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm always doing other people's work, which I love. And it's so exciting to jump into the shoes of another character, especially someone like Frederica Duke, who is just wild and exciting and fun and vibrant and delicious. Um, but I felt like I wanted to take my turn at trying to, to say something that I thought was important. Yeah. And at, the, at the time, um, I'm trying to think, you know, obviously we had had Bella at that point already and we had Darby at that point. And I thought, God, I, I feel like maybe it would be interesting talking about some of these insane experiences as a parent. And um, my friend Jovial Kemp, who's a lovely solo artist as well, we were having lunch one day and he said, Pam, Tales of Modern Motherhood, go. <laughs> he said, write it. Your stories are the best. I love your stories. You could talk all day. I was like, what? <laughs> and I said, I love that title. Can I steal it? That is brilliant. And he said, yes. And so that's how it all kind of blossomed. That's amazing. I love that. Oh, my gosh. So, so what was... What was your process like going from writing to then performing or rehearsing and staging it? And did you hire a director and, and everything? So um, because I'm an actor that writes, not a writer that acts, yeah. I thought, oh my gosh, am I even capable of writing something that's worthy? Like mm -hmm. that people would actually want to pay for? <laughs> and I, I called Terry Silverman, who is a, an unbelievable writing coach. And I had been writing with her just for more, more or less fun um, <laughs> over the course of the many years. And I knew she had a master class for solo work. And I said, I think I want to jump into this. And, and she was just such an incredible mentor to me that she really helped me through the process. Now, the interesting part about it was the first three months of the solo class, of the master class, I was writing, I'm, I'm kidding you not, about crazy dates that I used to have. <laughs> like going on a date and a man pulling out a Bible, like crazy <laughs> shit. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um, and I don't know where it was coming from. It, mm -hmm. I, was, I didn't want to write about that. I wanted to write about the kids. I wanted to write about being a mom. I wanted mm -hmm. to write about being scared of having responsibility. Um, because I feel like a child myself most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> and so I said to Terry, I'm doing this wrong. Mm. She said, no, you're not doing it wrong. This is your process. Keep going. And I kept going and I kept writing more about dates. And a, I remember a guy laying on top of me and farting. And 
and thinking, oh my God, I feel like a human toilet. I hate dating. This is the worst. I mean, just gross, crazy <laughs> ass experiences. Yeah. And so I said to Terry, why am I writing these ridiculous stories? And she said, for whatever reason, you have to get past all that to dig deeper, to get to the meat and potatoes. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it started emerging and the good stuff started coming. Yeah, totally. Oh my gosh. I love it. Um, So do you want to just share a little bit about what part one is about? Sure. So um, part one is pretty much uh, the fact that I am terrified uh, to, to be mature enough to have kids. And I meet this phenomenal guy. We have a whirlwind uh, romance. He proposes in the most spectacular way, which as you know, showing. Oh my God. <laughs> and immediately the next day, he asks, how soon after we get married are we going to have kids? Yeah. And I tell him I don't want to have kids. And he tells me that it's a deal breaker. And so what do you do when you find the guy of your dreams and having children is such an enormous part of his journey? And so I lie. And I say, no, I just mean, I I do want to have kids, just not now. (laughs) And I prolong it for five years. And literally to the day, as if it were on a calendar, he's hawking me to China to to get pregnant. And so a lot of the play is me having this like sperm assassination mission to make sure that I don't get pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Which fails, ultimately. (laughs) Which fails, exactly. (laughs) And it's just this incredible journey of of being afraid. And and this is so interesting. When I was writing the piece, I didn't know why I was afraid. I just think, I thought it was something I just wasn't, that might not be for me. I, I was focusing on my career and touring and everything. And then I realized through the process of writing that so much of it had to do with my childhood Mm -hmm. and the fact that my parents divorced so young and I was terrified to be a single mom. Mm -hmm. And so it really uncovered a lot of stuff. Um, And it was just an incredible process writing it Um, and then, you know, performing it and having, just having such a blast, having no idea five years later, it would still be, you know, very successful and popular and which just makes it so rewarding and fulfilling. Yeah, totally. I mean, and it's, it's interesting too, because I don't want to have kids, but I feel like there is like a societal like expectation that we're all just going to be moms. Like, that's what we're going to do. Yeah, I feel like we all have our own journey. And if we were all the same, it would be really boring. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Right? 100%. So yeah, I love that. Yeah. Um, Okay. I'm I'm trying to think if there's anything else you want to ask about part one. And Okay. Is there anything else you want to share about part one before we jump to part two? Um. Oh, gosh. Um, I know you were asking uh, as far as a director and all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, I had been working uh, with a director since The Quiet Room from way back when, not the gal in uh, New York that had uh, initially brought the project to me, uh, but when I came to L.A. with it. And um, actually, that's a crazy story. That's 
as a matter of fact, that's in my new show, uh, the journey of coming to California and bringing yeah. that show here. It, I can't wait for you to see the new show. Oh my gosh. Yeah. April 30th. It's going to be April 30th. So um, yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. But the fellow that um, I had asked to direct uh, is a fellow named Mark Hatfield, who is a dear friend of mine, who is an incredible actor himself. And he was kind enough to say he would direct. And he's been directing me for the last 20 years. I just love the bits. Um, and so it, it's a lot of fun when somebody knows you so well that they trust you, you kind of get up there, do your thing. And really so much of it is him just kind of tweaking and saying, try this or try that. And um, I like to kind of go big and he allows me to do my thing and then he'll reel me in when I need to be reeled in. That's awesome. That's that's amazing to have such a long-term relationship like that. Cause like, you know, each other so well, you're going to know what works. You're going to know how you work together. Like that's, that's awesome. The hardest part is that now he is working a lot. Um, and so it's me working in his schedule and I'm hoping it's going to be possible with the new one. If not, we're going to have to figure out how that's going to work. Yeah. But yeah. So Two years later, part two happened. So what, just tell us a little bit about what part two is about and, and what prompted you to want to write another show. Thank you. Um, well, basically, um, when my daughter turned age five, um, she realized that she was not comfortable in her own skin. And so she literally said to me, I don't know who I am. This half of me feels like a girl, but this half of me wants to be a boy. Mm -hmm. And so me, and I joke about this, coming from Northeast Philadelphia, having zero tools in the tool belt there, <laughs> um, I really did not know how to respond to that or what it even meant. Mm -hmm. And so in a nutshell, I just said, how about this? How about we don't focus on a boy or a girl? Why don't we focus on just being Darby, mm -hmm. which is my daughter's name? Um, and so that's what we did. Darby was Darby, just not focusing on anything other than being true to Darby's self. Yeah. And that worked for quite a while until it didn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. And Darby was ready to shed his female skin and and transition into the he, him, his pronouns. Mm -hmm. And this was something I knew very little about. And speaking of my girlfriend, Signe, who did the one person show way back when, she is a therapist and she lives in LA now. And she had been such an incredible friend and guide helping our family through this whole transition period. And, um, and I have to say, even though it was a scary time, because I think as a parent, you have fear for your kid. You always want your child to be successful and thrive and not have issues or problems or, um, or anything like that. But inevitably, in any family, all kids usually have something going on. I mean, nobody's perfect. I mean, I know I'm not perfect. I have my own stuff. <laughs> to deal oh, we all have stuff. <laughs> right? <Yep. laughs> And so I, I just wanted Darby to know that my husband and our, our daughter, Bella, that we were all there for Darby, no matter what, regardless, he, she, whatever, you know, 
that we love Darby just the way he is. And I have to say, ever since we transitioned, this kid is thriving and he's happy. And, and that's what it's all about, right? At the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. I, the thing that I found so just remarkable about Darby is that he was like, just had like this, the safety and comfortability and self self-assuredness to be like, no, this is who I am. And everyone else can just jump on board. I just, I love that. And that speaks too to like the home environment that you've created for him to just feel so safe to do that. Like truly. So I, I'm, I was so like, I remember texting you after seeing it. I was like, Oh my God. I was like crying. I was like, this is amazing. And to be so young and to have that knowing already, that's, that's another thing. You're so sweet. It, it's so true. I mean, I, I joke around at the time when it happened, you know, I said to him, I said, Darby, I'm in my my 40s and I don't even know who I am exactly. (laughs) I'm still kind of a work in progress. The fact that you know who you are is amazing. Yeah. But that's the thing, like, you know, I joke around, but it's very true. We try to teach our kids everything we know because we feel like that's our job. But at Mm -hmm. the end of the day, our children are forever teaching us. Yeah. I love that. Oh my gosh. So beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. What was the reasoning behind writing part two? Okay. So, um, basically we were the only ones in our community that were going through having a child being confused with their gender, um, uh, that I was aware of, uh, at least in our circle of friends. And so I, number one, I thought it was very cathartic writing it as I was going through it because it was very healing. Um, But also I thought it was really important to educate our friends and community because I didn't want them to be afraid of it. And I feel really lucky because when I wrote it, gosh, this was two years ago when, you know, when I finished, you know, with the, and, um, And so um, I feel like so much has happened during pandemic with shows on Netflix and documentaries and people being more aware of uh, transgender people and changing the pronouns and even having um, Dr. Rachel um, Levine, um, now uh, President Biden just um, asked her. Yes, uh, who's transgender uh, now. Uh, being a part of our, our government, you know, yeah. the White House and everything. It's so exciting. Um, and so I feel like more and more are, um, we're becoming more comfortable um, and open-minded about that. Um, and still, we have such a long way to go. But what was really amazing when I uh, launched the show, I was having a lot of the parents come from our school and a lot of them were very apprehensive. And I, and I really think some of them disagreed with this choice because mm-hmm. they really didn't know a whole lot about it. Mm-hmm. And not tapping myself on the back, but I feel like because I wrote this play in a very non-threatening way, using a lot of humor, I felt like it was easy to digest and it made sense. And it was like, oh, oh, okay, that's what that means? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's not a big deal. Why are we making such a big deal about this? Yeah. And so I feel like at least 
in our community, it really opened the eyes of so many of our uh, friends and family. It, it, I feel like it was, I, I feel like it was a blessing that it got done, even though it was painful in the process sure. uh, because it was happening in real time. Mm, okay. As it was right, it was actually happening faster than I could write. Yeah. So that was tricky. Yeah. Yes. I wonder if because it was so full of comedy, your show, like that allowed people to not have their walls up and feel like so steadfast and like defensive about their own beliefs that they could then like understand and 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 not feel like they have to like just automatically dismiss, you know? I don't know. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Actually, I said there was no one in our community, and I want to uh, rephrase that. There was a child three years prior that in third grade uh, changed their pronouns as well. Okay. They were the first ones at our school. We were the second, and that happened three years later. Mm -hmm. And so because Darby was changing in third grade and transitioning, the teacher that had gone through it three years prior became our teacher. Oh. She made the transition so much easier because she was familiar with this. She had yeah. gone through that. Yeah. And mom, who was a pioneer at our school, doing this and, and being so brave, um, she taught me so much and I, I really commend her and I thank her from the bottom of my heart because she made this so much less scary and it, it really was a, a great experience from yeah. the principal to the teachers to the staff. Um, even the kids for the most part were very kind, very few and far between. Uh, there was one child I remember who was confused. Mm -hmm. and said, Is it true that Darby is now a boy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I talked to her and, and, and I said, since you've known Darby, do you remember Darby ever dressing like a girl? No. Right. So it makes sense that Darby didn't feel comfortable being born a girl. He always felt like he was a boy. Yeah. And so we're using the he, him, his pronouns because that's the way he feels comfortable. I yeah, think I more articulate than that, <laughs> but it was something to that effect. Yeah, like oh, that makes sense. Yeah, you know, totally. I think like so many. Uh, I don't. I mean, I don't want to like boil it down to this, but I think a lot of um, issues come from a lack of understanding and a lack of education. And so it's like when we have those conversations and we're not afraid to have difficult conversations, like it, it, we're just, we're opening ourselves up to more and more love. So It's so true. I, I, there was a mom um, and she came up to me. She said, gosh, I, I, I've heard a lot of great things about your show. Congratulations. And I said, thank you. That really means a lot to me. I'd love for you to come and check it out. And she said, oh no, I... I couldn't do that. And I said, oh, I said, you know, I just want you to know what's going on in our household is not contagious. And she looked at me and I said, and her daughter had come up and said, what's contagious? Mm. And I said, a rash, honey. A rash <sighs> is contagious. Yeah. 
because I just wanted her to know if you come to the show, you're not going to catch this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Interesting, right? It's like it's two, now it's 2021, but at the time, 2020, and it's just remarkable to me um, how closed off people can be. I, I'm not trying to judge. Look, everybody has their own, uh, you know, beliefs and feelings, and I respect that I do. Um, but I think that if, if we could just try and be a little more open-minded, we'd allow a lot more love into our hearts. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like too, when people are unafraid to be their authentic selves and, and like have that freedom within them, like that's what's contagious. It's that freedom to be authentic, you know, and that's a beautiful thing. Like that's what, what should be spreading, you know? That's exactly right. It's true. When you see someone, even like someone like yourself, who is so beautiful and talented and, and you just exude such a wonderful positive energy that is contagious. That makes me want to know you. Mm. It makes me want to be around you. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, thank you. <laughs> you. You're so amazing. Oh my gosh. So what does the future look like? Are you working on a part three? Ah, okay. So this is what's going on. Thank you so much for asking. So middle of March, the Morgan Wixon Theater is doing a series. They're trying to promote unpublished writers and artists. And so they've asked me to bring Tales of Modern Motherhood part two, gender and identity, uh, to be part of the series. So that is the very next thing that I'm doing. But in the meantime, I'm writing a third show. It is not part three. It okay. is a, a show all in itself. And it's about, it's, um, we're going back to Pam's journey, my journey. Um, when I was 25, uh, as a birthday present, my stepmother took me to an astrologer. Ooh. And this woman was renowned. I mean, she really knew what she was talking about. And unlike tarot cards, this is very specific. The day of your birthday, um, the exact time you were born, it, it's all aligned with the stars and everything. And so I told her all the details and she made all these predictions. Oh my God. And the play is about how all these pred predictions were coming true. Oh my God. One after the next, after the next, after the next, to the point where it was, it was almost scary. Yeah. The one thing she said that was jarring is that she said, when you turn 40, and then she paused and she said, you know what? It's not for a very long time. And I thought, okay, well, well let's go back. Uh, is something bad going to happen? And she said, oh, you're so young. And I said, no, but, but am I going to die? Oh, my God. And then she started gathering her things. I swear. So you don't know. She started gathering her things and she said, honey, it's not for a very long time. So nice to meet you. And she got her stuff. She walked out. And I looked at my stepmother like, are you kidding me? Like, what? Anyway, my stepmother wanted to focus on all the positives because there were all lot of great stuff in there. 
But as I turned 35, 36, 37, as we were getting closer, not a day went by that I didn't think about this prediction. Yeah. And so, so much of the play is about the predictions and then what happened mm-hmm. at age 40. And so it, it, it's a really interesting story. It also deals with angels, guardian angels and spirits. Um, and I'm having so much fun writing it and I'm still writing it. Okay. So, um, I'm still in Terry's class writing uh, in a brand new master class. And then the show is going to go up at the White Fire. I'm going to close the festival, the White Fire Annual Solo Fest on April 30th, 7 p.m. and live stream it. Oh my goodness. Okay. I'm hoping, no, I'm, the podcast will be out by then because I need it. To, I, I need to jump that hurdle. So I'm going to try and air our episode so that we can, prom- like before then, so that we can promote oh. it. That would be amazing. Oh my God. God. Thank you. That, that would be phenomenal. Yes. And it's like external reason for me to kick my own butt and launch this thing that I'm terrified to launch. (laughs) Oh, don't be terrified. This is just a launching pad to a very long and very successful career for you. Thank you. Alrighty. Um, just for time's sake, do you want to jump to our final five speed round? Yeah. Yay. Okay. Um, what is your go-to pre-show warm-up? Ah, okay. I do a lot of vocal warm-ups. Um, so that was impressive. <laughs> Lots of just opening the mouth up. I I do uh, mama me, mama me, mama my, baba be, baba be, baba bye. I go through every letter of the alphabet. Papa pee, papa pay, papa pie. Just to wrap your mouth around the different words, and uh, it really helps you from getting stuck, and it keeps you nice and clean and fresh, and your voice clear. Um, tongue twisters, red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. I split a sheet, a sheet I split, and on that splitted sheet I sit. Oh my God. Things like that. Lots of fun. So I do that. I do a series of that. I love listening to music that inspires me. Mm-hmm. Um, and depending on the show, I have different songs that I turn on that really pump me up and get me going. Uh, There's Nothing Holding Me Back by Sean Mendez. That's my part one warm up. I love that, right? So I like to stretch. I like I like to dance. I like to just move my arms and just get, you know, comfortable in my body. Yeah. Is I this is just totally I I should not call this speed round because it's never speed round, but um is one of the reasons why you have so many um musical interludes in your um shows because it like forces you to get back in your body and like dance and have fun. That's a great question. It really fuels me. Yeah. Um, but I was really specific with all the music I chose um, for both shows, um, just because I thought it was a great way to transition from one scene to the next. Okay. Um, in the new show, uh, it will be very different, the transitions, because mm-hmm. uh, I don't want it to be like Tales. I want it to have its own feeling and the whole yeah. nine months. Yeah. Okay. Um, what is one thing you miss about performing for a live audience? And we've kind of talked about yeah. that as well. <laughs> that instant gratification, the laughter, the tears, being able to walk into the audience and play with the audience. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. yeah. 
What is one piece of advice you have for solo performers? Mm, Trust yourself. You know this story. It's your story. So if, God forbid, you go up on a line, breathe, make a physical adjustment. I'm telling you, it will come back to you. Or just grab the next line that comes into your head. You can, it's so weird. So many times you're on stage and you're having fun, especially if sometimes I go into the audience and I start playing, then sometimes I'm not sure where I am. (laughs) I was having so much fun that I was like, oh my God, where am I? So if you breathe, I had an instructor in Philadelphia. She's the best teacher I've ever had, Irene Baird. And she would say, Pamela, breathe. Make a physical adjustment. And sometimes she'd make you do this. This is really ugly to look at, but it's really fun. And it like opens up your jaw and everything. Now, obviously, don't do that in front of the in front of your audience. But whatever it is, even if it's just walking to the other side of the stage, that physical adjustment will trigger words will come back to you. That's also great advice for life in general. I feel like just breathing and moving your body. Like those are two things that I, if that's the only thing I do in a day right now, that's okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, four, what is one piece of advice you have for someone writing their solo show? Find Terry Silverman. <laughs> Creative rights. She is the bomb diggity do. Honestly, she will help you, guide you. Um, she will hold your hand through it. Yeah. She knows her stuff. I was in her, her class for a little while. She definitely, she's, she's good. Yeah. Okay, last question. What is one thing you learned throughout the process of writing and performing your own solo shows? Mm, I learned that my voice was important. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Oh my God. I'm so glad we're ending on that. (laughs) What an amazing end. (laughs) Thank you so much for chatting with us, Pam. I love you so much. I'm so blessed to know you. Family, check out Pam in Tales of Modern Motherhood. Truly, she's she's such a great performer and the shows are hella funny, inspiring, literally all of the things. You can find her on Instagram at Tales of Modern Motherhood or and or go to talesofmodernmotherhood.com for more information about Pam and the shows, which because of the pandemic, she's still able to do through live stream. Check out her new show. Uh, what's the date again? April 30th. April 30th. Check it out. You will be amazed. And that'll be also on the whitefiretheater.com. Awesome. I will put that link too. If you can, you send me that link and I'll put it in our show notes. Absolutely. Yes. I will text that to you. Perfect. I loved having you on. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You're amazing. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you have enjoyed your time today. Please take a minute to press that subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, Audible, Google Play. And if you liked today's episode, please rate and leave a review. It would mean so much to me and it helps more listeners like you find this podcast. You can connect with our guests and myself on social media. All of our information and more is listed in the description of this episode. I'm your host, Senya. See you next time.